Well, good morning. Um, for the past several months, I have been involved in two different theatrical productions here in Ocala. Um, one of them is Singing in the Rain Junior, which is going to be put on by Redeemer Christian School, and it actually opens this Thursday. Um, I'm the assistant director, and so we're getting some last-minute stuff done, getting ready for that, and been to a lot of rehearsals these past several months for that. Um, I'm also been, I've also been at a lot of rehearsals at the Ocala Civic Theater, because I'm playing a small role, small role, in um, their upcoming production of Beauty and the Beast, which opens next month. Um, so I tell you that to say I have been in a very like, theater mood lately. And so as I have been talking with people about this, there have been a few people who have said to me recently, like, are you going to redo the Peter monologue that you did a few years ago? And uh, yeah, some of you remember it. Um, so I would guess maybe half of you that are here probably were here for that, and maybe half of you were not. Um, for those of you who were not, I will describe it. It was, um, I told the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the point of view of the Apostle Peter, like talking in the first person, acting it out as if I were him. So we did that a few years ago, and um, so there, are, there were several people that were like, do that again. I think you were one of the people that said, do it again. And uh, so I'm not. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because it was just three years ago, and I just don't want it to be like, the guy does the same thing every single Easter. So I decided not to. Um, but then I was talking with uh, someone who's on staff at our church, Latara Arthur. She's in charge of the Kids Zone program and uh, the Youth Bible Study. And she said, well, why didn't you just write a new monologue? Like, tell the Easter story from the perspective of a different character and just write a new one. And so I thought about that, and I thought, okay, I will. So that's my plan this morning. I want to tell you the Easter story from the point of view of a man named Malchus. Um, Malchus is someone that I'm guessing most of you in the room are unfamiliar with. Almost everyone I talked to about this idea this week had not heard of him. Um, but he is a real Bible character. He's found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He is only named in the book of John, um, but he appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke unnamed. And as the, as the story goes along this morning, I think you will probably figure out who he is. And so I'm going to act out the story as if I'm him, and I will just tell you a couple of things um, that I'm planning on doing. First of all, I am not going to try to time travel you back to the first century. So I will not be wearing a tunic and a cloak and a turban. This is not going to be like an episode of The Chosen. Um, rather, um, I'm going to try to take Malchus and bring him forward in time to us. So he will speak English, he will be aware of our culture, um, he will be wearing more modern clothes, that kind of thing. Um, and then the only other thing I wanted to say before I get started is for those of you who, um, I've been your pastor for five years or ten years and you hear me preach every Sunday and you would have a very hard time picturing me being someone else, um, I would just ask you as best as you can, sort of suspend disbelief and try to get wrapped up in the story as best as you can. Okay? All right, here goes. Looks like you are all here. Let's begin. My name is Malchus. I was a slave for most of my life. My father sold me into slavery when I was just a boy, and it was shortly after my mother died. He didn't know what to do with me. Um, selling your children was illegal in the Roman Empire at the time, um, but it wasn't enforced, so it still happened. And my father tried to set me up in the best arrangement that he could. He gave me over to the most important, most powerful man in all of Israel. Well, it turns out 
he was the second most important man in all of Israel. But we didn't know about Jesus at the time. So I was told that this man who I would be serving was the most important man in all of Israel. His name? Caiaphas. High priest of the Hebrew people. A position instituted by God himself in the book of Exodus. I heard him say that a lot. <laughs> he was the one who was the mediator between God and the people. The one who made sacrifices for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. This position existed for 1,500 years on and off. And then when Jesus came and was the final mediator between God and the people, when Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, there would no longer ever be any need for any more Caiaphases. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We didn't know any of this about Jesus at the time that we first heard of him. I remember the first time I heard his name, uh, we had heard reports of a miracle man who was doing miracles, and he had raised a guy from the dead. The dead guy's name was Lazarus. And the people who witnessed this miracle were amazed, and they believed that he was the Messiah. And the Pharisees and the chief priests did not know what to do, and they called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. And being a servant of the high priest, I was at this meeting. And they said, what are we going to do with this miracle worker? If he keeps going, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come in and they will destroy our temple and they will destroy our whole nation. And Caiaphas stood up and he calmed them down. And he said, that doesn't have to happen. I have already prophesied that Jesus must die for the people of Israel. This is it. He must die. After all, it's better for one man to perish than for the whole nation to perish. He made it sound so noble. But the people in the room were much more motivated by their jealousy of Jesus than they were of any desire to save the nation. But nonetheless, that became the plan. From that point on, they planned to kill him. But there were a few problems with this plan. The first problem is, as far as we knew, this guy walked around with 12 bodyguards everywhere he went. <laughs> they were not official bodyguards, mind you, but we thought sending one officer to arrest him was not going to work with a man like a, with an entourage like that. So we thought we needed a big group of people with weapons. It turns out he didn't even plan on resisting, but we did not know that. We also needed to know where he would be ahead of time. And that was much more difficult for us than it is for you. See, in our time, we didn't have social media. This whole posting, tomorrow night I will be at the concert at 7 o'clock. Like, we didn't know where anyone would be before they got there. We didn't know where anyone was ever unless you were with them. We didn't have that feature on Google Maps where you can know where someone is by where their phone is located. We didn't even have texting. Like, if one of us did spot Jesus somewhere... It's not like we could quickly communicate to all the others so that we could all gather together to get him. So if we wanted to find him away from the crowds, we had a tough job to do. Now, one option that was available to us was we could just arrest him in broad daylight in front of everyone, right in front of the crowds. We knew that he went to the temple. He would teach the people in the temple. We could just wait in the temple till he came and arrest him in front of everyone. But that idea came with its own set of problems. 
You see, at this time, there was a festival in Jerusalem. And there were thousands of extra people in town. And many of these people were practically worshiping him. When Jesus came into town on a donkey, they had palm branches. And they were waving the palm branches and saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. They thought he was their king. So I remember someone at some point said, let's not kill him during the festival. The people love him. They may riot. And so the plot to kill Jesus was postponed. Until. Until Judas came walking in. (laughs) That was a surprise. One of his own. One of his own servants willing to give him over to us. And all he asked for was 30 pieces of silver. I bet they would have paid double. And Judas was able to give us information that we wouldn't have had otherwise. He knew about a particular garden that he would be in at a particular time away from the crowds. In fact, Judas was willing to do something for us that you all might take for granted. (laughs) Judas was willing to walk over to the man and point out to us which man was Jesus. You see, maybe you've never thought about this before, but not only did we not have social media and we didn't have texting, we didn't even have pictures. Some of us didn't know what he looked like. We'd never seen him. And some of us who had seen him had only seen him once or twice. And do you know what 12 Jewish men look like at night (laughs) with no street lamps? All the same. We wouldn't even know we were arresting the right guy. But Judas, Judas changed all of that. And that's where my part of the story comes in. So it was the night that we were to arrest him, and Judas only gave us a little bit of warning, so Caiaphas tried to gather together a lot of soldiers, um, as many as he could on such short notice. It was a lot of men. I mean, I don't remember. Maybe 50 soldiers, maybe 75. But that wasn't enough. Caiaphas wanted even more people there to arrest Jesus. And so he looked at all of his servants and he said, I want all of you to go with the soldiers to arrest this man. And I said, "Mm, yes, what a wise decision. Until I realized he was also referring to me. (laughs) I just stood there. And he looked at me and he said, why aren't you going? And I thought to myself, because I am not that kind of a servant. I can read. I can write. Caiaphas would dictate letters to me. I would write them down and deliver them to synagogues. I was not a go club a guy and drag him back into town kind of a servant. But he said go. So I went with the soldiers. And we traveled to the garden that Judas told us about. I was was nervous. I thought things might get violent. I stayed toward the back. I tried to stay out of the way and just stay toward the back of the crowd. We walked down this one footpath and we almost passed where Jesus was. And then Judas saw him and Judas walked over to him. And we were all in a big group and so we turned and all of us who were on the left side of the group all turned and we were now suddenly on the front row facing Jesus and his disciples. And I was so scared. And Judas and Jesus had a short conversation. And Jesus said, who are you looking for? And I just stood there. A guy behind me said, Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus said, I 
am he. And I took a step back and I bumped into the man behind me and my knees buckled and I fell and he fell and the man next to me fell. And as I went to get up, I could see we were all getting up at the same time and I was confused because I knew I did not knock all of the men over like dominoes. It was as if Jesus' words knocked us over. Believe what you want. The disciples <clears throat> were emboldened by our weakness. And one of them said, shall we attack them? And then another one, the angriest looking one, he did not even wait for Jesus to answer the question. He starts swinging his sword at us. I had not even gotten all the way up. I was getting up. He starts swinging a sword at my head. I ducked. He missed most of my head and he took off my ear. I held my ear in my hand. The pain arrived. The blood arrived. And instinctively, I just pushed my ear against my head to stop the bleeding. The whole thing was a blur. The man who struck me, I did not know his name at the time. I later found that it was Peter. Jesus said to him, put away your sword. And then Jesus walked over to me. I must have been in shock. I didn't even try to run away. And he put his hand on my hand. And he put his hand on my ear. And the pain went away. And the bleeding stopped. And my ear was attached as if someone did not just attack me with a sword. This man, who was known as a healer, had just healed one of his enemies. He was healing someone who was there to hurt him. I later found out that that was the last miracle he performed before he died. Of all the people on the list that Jesus healed across his whole life, I was the last one. None of this story makes sense. At this point, I, became, I began to doubt that we were doing the right thing. What if he really was the Messiah? What if we were the ones who were on the wrong side of history? No matter, they tied him up and they took him off to his trial. Oh, his trial. His trial was a dishonest one. They kept finding false witnesses, I guess, that would get up there and say things, trying to make it look like he had done something worthy of being put to death but their stories didn't even match up with one another. One man even asked me to testify. He said, get up there and testify. Say that Jesus was a revolutionary and that he uh, called for violence, that he commanded one of his servants to attack you and he cut off your ear. Tell them that. And I said, that's not how it happened. And besides, who would believe that? Cut off my ear. When they ask me, why does your ear look fine? What will I say? 
Oh, it grew back. <laughs> I will look like a fool. I did not testify. But I listened to the whole trial. I took notes for Caiaphas, but I couldn't help thinking that we were all doing something very wrong. The trial ended quickly. At one point, Jesus said that he was the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who would be seated on the right hand of power and seated in the clouds of heaven. And Caiaphas said, what more do we need to hear? Blasphemy! And they handed him over to the Romans to be crucified. Ah, crucifixion. Invented by the Persians, perfected by the Romans. It was the worst form of torture we had. It would take days for some of the criminals to die. I had seen crucifixions before. I did not like them. Most people in Israel did not like them. They were a reminder of the power that Rome had over us. In fact, sometimes when someone sentenced to crucifixion was released, we would cheer. We did that weekend for Barabbas. But in the case of Jesus, it was like they were under a spell. They were cheering for his crucifixion. And as he was dying, he was praying for them. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was praying for people that were killing him as they were killing him. He was praying for people like me. No. He was praying for me. Um, Caiaphas did not go to personally witness the crucifixion. He had more important things to do. But he sent me to make sure everything went as planned. And I reported back to him that everything went as, as good as it could. But he already knew that there were complications. The day that Jesus was crucified, there was a storm. Uh, well, no rain, but dark cloud cover. All day, like nighttime in the middle of the day. And there was an earthquake, earthquake and it, it damaged local buildings. It was like the earth was reacting. It, it was like God was reacting to the evil that we were tolerating. No, the evil that we were doing. Even the temple was damaged. The curtain that separates the holy place, they found it the next morning in two pieces. No one ever explained to me how an earthquake could cut a curtain neatly down the middle like that. But I had my own opinions later on. He was dead. And I thought that would be the end of the story. I had briefly considered that he could be the Messiah. But once he died, I figured that was impossible. You know, the, the Messiah was supposed to reign over an everlasting kingdom, not die before he even gets one started. So I thought it was over. 
And I went back to my normal life. And I thought the thing with the ear would be the most important thing that ever happened to me. <clears throat> and then he rose again. <laughs> Jesus Christ came back to life. And his disciples saw him alive again after the crucifixion. And the tomb was empty. And suddenly Caiaphas had another meeting to go to. He met with the religious leaders. This was, he came back to life the first day of the following week. And they gathered together the meeting, I don't remember when. <clears throat> and they were all there going, what are we going to do now if this story gets out? I mean, the, the word on the street was that, that God had raised Jesus from the dead and vindicated him and that Jesus was everything he ever claimed to be. And they said, if this story gets out, it will be way worse for us than the Lazarus story. And so they gathered together the um, soldiers who were guarding the tomb, and they paid them big money to say that they had been sleeping while the disciples stole the body. That was the official story we released. But as an insider to these conversations, I knew it was a lie. The disciples saw Jesus alive again after his crucifixion, and they started telling everyone. And even when they arrested them, they kept telling everybody. And even when they were beating them, they kept telling everyone. And even when they imprisoned them, they kept telling everybody. There was nothing that anybody could do to shake this story from them. And I, for one, believed them. I became a believer in Jesus Christ, that he rose again. He was the Messiah. But I didn't tell anybody for a couple of months. I wanted to secure my freedom before I told Caiaphas. You see, in the Roman Empire, not everyone that was a slave was a slave for life. Sometimes we could obtain our freedom. Sometimes you could save up money to purchase your freedom. Sometimes friends and family would help. And I was this close. Fifteen more denarii, and I would be free. One day, I was delivering a letter to a synagogue in another city, and I saw him. Peter, the guy who attacked me, the guy who cut off my ear, he was there, he was baptizing people. He was baptizing people who believed Jesus rose again from the grave, people who said, I will follow him, he is the Messiah. People who believed. He was baptizing people like me. And I stood there. I thought to myself, I should do that sometime. Officially switch sides, you know? So I just watched. I don't know how long it was. But someone said to me, Are you here to be baptized? Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? That he rose again? You live your life for him as your Lord and Savior? <laughs> and I, I was so surprised at the question I accidentally answered honestly. I said, yes. <laughs> and they led me to the edge of the water. And I looked at Peter. I took a step forward. And he looked at me. He did not recognize me at first. Was I really going to do this? He said, 
He said, Repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit, all of you. There was that word again, forgiveness. Jesus had prayed that I would be forgiven. So I took another step forward. I could feel the water around my ankles. Was I really going through with this? I took another step forward, and Peter's posture toward me changed. He said, I remember you. And I thought, oh, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> this man is going to drown me right here. Finish what he started two months ago. But that wasn't it. He looked at me and he said, I am sorry for how I have sinned against you. Will you forgive me? I didn't know what to say. This was a different Peter than the man I had met. I don't think I even answered him. I just said, will you baptize me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? And he said yes. And he baptized me. As I started to go home, there was a woman. I had never seen her before, but she came up to me. And she said, the Lord would have me give you these. Tears filled my eyes. It was 15 denarii. I looked at her, I said, why? And she said, because you're my brother now. And I never had a family before. I had a master. I had a job to do. I never had a family. I was amazed. What was going on? I went home, and Caiaphas had already heard that I had been baptized, and he was not pleased. He said, you made a bad decision, Malchus. And he used different words than that. And I didn't know what he would do. This is the most powerful man in all of Israel. The chief priest of the Hebrew people. A position instituted by God in the book of Exodus. He stormed out of the room. The next morning, I took my money and I brought it into his chambers and I gave it to him to purchase my freedom. I did not know if he would accept it. I did not know if I was too late. But he looked at it, and he said, good. I don't ever want to see your ugly face again. And I thought to myself, I also don't ever want to see your ugly face ever again. But I did not say it out loud. And I picked up my belongings, and I moved out. And my friends were so happy for me. They celebrated my freedom. And I couldn't help but tell them the whole story. The part about Lazarus and Judas and my ear and the trial and the crucifixion and the resurrection and Peter. I told them everything. I said, yes, I used to be a slave. But as far as I'm concerned, I was set free the day I began to follow Jesus. In fact, I've never been more free than I am now. I've never been more free. 
than when I became a servant of the Son of God. And so let me end by telling you something that my master, Jesus, would sometimes say at the end of a story. Sometimes he would tell a story and then he would say, let him who has ears, let him hear. And that was his way of saying, if you can understand and believe this, understand and believe this. And so I say to you, Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. Him who has ears, let him hear. That's the story. <clears throat> um, the story of Peter cutting off Malchus's ear, as I told you before, is a real story that's found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's taught in all, taught in all four Gospels. And other parts of that story that I just told you are also from the Bible. The, the resurrection of Lazarus, the betrayal of Judas, the trial, Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection, the false narrative about the hiding of the body and the people being paid to say that they were asleep. Um, even the part about the soldiers all falling backwards the night that he was arrested, I didn't remember that part very well. That's in the book of John. Now, I confess, I did have to fill in some gaps in order to tell the story well. Malchus is only found in five Bible verses total. And so I had to add things to, like, to be him. I had to add things in his life before and after the parts that we know about him. And I just wanted you to know that the parts that I added, I believe, are compatible with the history of that time. And so when I'm saying... For instance, the Bible does not say that Malchus was asked to testify at Jesus' trial. But it was a dishonest trial, and there were false witnesses that came forward during his trial. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that Malchus purchased his freedom. We don't know how Malchus' story actually ended. But historically, I believe we do know that in the Roman Empire, like, there were slaves that pursued their freedom successfully. The book, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about that. So that was a thing that happened to people. Um, the Bible doesn't say specifically that Malchus converted to Christianity. Okay? It's hard for me to imagine he didn't, considering what happened to him and considering what had happened the, the, the weeks following. But the Bible doesn't specifically say that he converted to Christianity or that Peter baptized him. But the Bible does say that Peter was a changed man and he did preach the gospel and he did baptize people. And there were people that were a part of that priestly culture in Jerusalem who shortly after the resurrection became followers of Jesus Christ. And I assume they're servants as well. And so I'm telling you, that stuff like, did happen. And so I took these things that truly did happen and I applied them to a character in the Bible that we don't know a whole lot about. And then I'll just end by saying this. The, I, I, and I hope this almost goes without saying. The most important character in the story that I just told you is not Malchus. Jesus is the most important person who has ever lived. And... The parts of the story that he was in today, I did not fictionalize any of that. What he said at his arrest, what he said on the cross, like the parts about Jesus I told you as they are in the Bible. Jesus was a man who truly loved his enemies all the way up to the final days of his life, all the way up to the final moments of his life. And he really was God's sacrifice for sins on behalf of humanity. And he really rose again. If he did not rise again, his followers 
had an inexplicable amount of courage and life change that stemmed from no event in particular. Jesus really rose again. And he offers salvation from sin and hell and death to anyone who will turn from their own ways and believe in him. So he who has ears, let him hear.